the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. WTBN Pinellas Park. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. So certainly we who agonize in the pursuit of godliness will be blessed for all of eternity. So give your life over to the pursuit of godliness because it counts for eternity. That's what he's saying. A good minister does what he does with eternity in view. The living God has shown that he, that he can sustain and preserve and take care and bless everyone. Certainly, then you know that when he says he'll bless you forever and ever, you know that to be true. So it is worth it all. In other words, he's saying there's a future. And God's proven that. Daniel Webster said, If we work upon marble, it will perish. If we work upon brass, time will efface it. If we rear temples, they will crumble into dust. But if we work upon immortal minds and instill into them just principles, we are then engraving that upon tablets which no time will efface, but will brighten and brighten to all eternity. Pursuing godliness does exactly that, in us and in those we influence. Godliness takes the long view, knowing that the work involved will reap eternal benefits. Welcome. You're listening to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff, the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Pastor Steve is teaching a series of lessons from 1 Timothy chapter 4 about the marks of a good servant. And today we come to the conclusion of his second sermon in this series. One very important mark is that he pursues godliness. Let's join Pastor Steve now as we consider what that looks like and the dividends it pays. What has happened is we have become, we have been sucked in, just like the Corinthians, into the culture of our day, and we think that looking good on the outward is more important than looking good on the inward, because the inward is something God only sees. That's the same thing in 1 Peter. If you look at 1 Peter chapter 3, he is dealing with this very same concept. In 1 Peter chapter 3, Peter is addressing wives of unsaved husbands, or maybe we could apply it to carnal husbands. I think it means unsaved husbands. But he says, uh, And let not your adornment be external only, braiding the hair and wearing jewelry and putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit which is precious in the sight of God. He is not saying that women shouldn't look good. He is just saying, if I could paraphrase it in this way, that if you spend an hour looking at yourself in the mirror getting ready, then make sure you spend an hour in Bible study. Don't be preoccupied on the outside and neglect the inside. That's what he's saying. He's certainly not saying you can't wear jewelry because if that was true, then he'd tell a woman that she couldn't wear a dress. Okay? He is simply saying... Don't concentrate on outward beauty to the neglect of inward beauty, because that's really what's important. Character is more important than what you look like. He's not saying you ought to look ugly. You ought to try to look as plain as possible and unappealing to your husband. He's not saying that at all. He's just saying don't concentrate on external. It passes away. It's temporary. It's, it's just profits for a little. That's the same thought back in 1 Timothy chapter 4. 
I think it's a very sad thing, that, the day that we live in, because uh, Christians have, have started to think just like the world. Not too long ago, Moody Monthly came out with a, uh, a whole um, magazine for the, for the month that was devoted to the humanism that has swept into our churches, self-esteem and looking good. And, and in one of the articles, Elwood McQuaid uh, mentions that all the, the new books that are, are really equating a little bit of uh, extra weight with being out of uh, the will of God and, and uh, spiritually uh, indicative of spiritual ill health. And here are some of the books. Lord, help, the devil wants me fat. Two, the desperate dieter. Three, God's answer to fat. Now, I'm not advocating people be overweight. I'm not talking about that. But that's what's now on the Christian bookshelves. All of this kind of stuff. And the result is not that we're more spiritual. Not, this has nothing to do with spirituality, but that we're worshiping the body and trying to convince ourselves that we are spiritual because we look right and we eat right and we feel right and we wear the right clothes and that nothing to do with spirituality. In fact, I think what's happened is we're now worshiping the creature rather than the creator. That's what's happened. It's a self-centered style of Christianity, which is not biblical Christianity at all. Now, at this point, someone will say, but wait a minute. Didn't Paul write, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Yes, he did. But you know what the context of that is? The context is make sure that, uh, that your body is not given over to sexual immorality. It has nothing to do with exercise. I mean, I think there's a principle there. But I, the real truth is make sure that your body is used for the glory of God. It has nothing to do with your weight or with your muscles, or with fitting into the right clothes. It has to do with make sure that your body is used for the glory of God and not sexual immorality. That's the context. So physical exercise is useful to a point, but it's inferior to spiritual exercise. He says at the rest of verse 8, for bodily ex- discipline is, is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Physical exercise is useful. He's not saying it's not. It's just that it cannot compare with godliness, the pursuit of of godliness and spiritual exercise, which, by the way, what would be spiritual exercise? Bible study, prayer, being involved in a local church, accountability, meditation, all those graces that come from God. That's spiritual exercise. I failed to mention that, but that's what it is. That's what he's talking about. It's pursuing the things of God. Godliness affects every area of life. That's what Paul was saying. Not just the body. It's, notice verse 8 says, but godliness is profitable for all things. All things. You say, well, why does it affect all things? Listen, you become godly and it affects every area of life. You become godly and men, you're, you're a better husband. You become godly, ladies, and you're a better wife. You're a better, better daughter. Men, you're better sons. You become godly and you're a better worker. You're a better employer and better employee. You're a better school teacher. You're a better Sunday school teacher. It affects everything. I have couples who come to me from time to time and they have marital difficulties. And you know what? I usually never deal with marriage. That's not the issue. Straighten them out spiritually and their marriage will straighten out. The the issue is not their marriage. The issue is people. I mean, people make up a marriage. And the issue is always that they're not walking with Christ. Walk with Christ and get godly and your marriage will take care of itself. So instead of focusing on, on marriage, which is not the issue, we want to focus on who the people are. 
Pursue godliness, Paul says, and it's profitable for all things. It just affects everything. Godliness isn't limited to one area called the physical. Godly character, as someone said, now listen, this is great. That's why I'm quoting them. Godly character is more important than golf trophies. I didn't hear too many amens, so I'll say it. Amen. Godly character is more important than racquetball trophies. Might hear a few on that. Godly character is just more important than anything else that we might attain in, uh, in sports or, or, for that matter, anything that would be involved in the physical. And he says that godliness holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. That is, godliness has its rewards that never end. It affects life now, but it goes on into eternity. It never stops. That is so obvious. It is so obvious. And Paul says in verse 9 how obvious it is. Look at verse 9. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. This is a statement. There, there are five of these, five trustworthy statements found in the pastoral epistles, First and Second Timothy and, and Titus. We've gone over this because we have seen this already. In fact, back in, in 1 Timothy 3.1, he says, It is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of an overseer, it's a fine work he desires to do. These trustworthy statements were just... Um, maxims that were going on in the church. They were, they were statements that everybody knew and agreed to, and they probably said it between themselves. It was just something that was so uh, obvious. It was a tried and proven truth and probably a creedal statement. Oh, yes, it's a trustworthy statement that, that godliness is more profitable than physical training. I mean, th- that's what he was saying. This is just something obvious. Everybody knows that. Every Christian knows that eternal values are more important than temporary values, Right? I think you'd have to be from another planet to not know that. Everybody knows, every Christian knows that eternal values are more important than temporary values. But listen, while the whole church, everybody in the church knows that, only good servants, only good ministers give their lives over for eternal values. Only good ministers apply these truths. They don't just know it. They do something about it. Look at verse 10. For it is for this, what? For what? What is this for? For godliness, for the pursuit of godliness. It is for this that we labor and strive. For what do we labor and strive to be godly? This godliness is profitable for now and for eternity. That's what we labor and strive. Labor means to the point of exhaustion, weariness, a hard worker. Do you, do you work hard at being godly? It's, no one's ever said it was easy. And then the word for strive is agonize, agonize, hard work. A good minister works hard at pursuing godliness as an, ad- as an athlete works at winning some temporary rewards or gains. That's right, he works hard at it, he agonizes. Listen, good ministers are not double-minded. You Sunday school teachers, you ought to give yourself over to ministry. You ought not to be looking for ways to get out of ministry. If God has called you to that, then stick with it and stay there and be involved and give yourself over to godliness, the pursuit of it. Don't be looking for how many weeks you can teach and then get out of it. Good ministers are not double-minded. Godliness is an all-consuming passion. They aren't part-time pursuers of godliness. In other words, they aren't godly just on Sundays. You know what I mean? They are not godly just on Sundays. We strive, we labor, we work at it. The pursuit of godliness costs something. I know it costs something. It'll cost you something if you are serious about it, just like it costs a dedicated athlete. What does it cost a dedicated athlete? Sometimes it costs him friends because he doesn't have time. 
to do certain things that he might want to do and, and friendships that he might want to make. Loneliness. I was reading recently about an athlete who works all day as a uh, uh, wallpaper hanger and then has to uh, spend an hour and a half, two hours or so training. He's training for the Olympics and the javelin throw. It's kind of a rotten life in one sense. Loneliness. Can't have many friends. Misunderstanding. Time. Deprives them of some things in this life. That's the way it is for an athlete. That's the way it is for a dedicated person who wants to be a servant of God. Now the question is, is it worth it? Is it worth it? I would want to know, if I just heard this for the first time, is it worth it? I mean, am I giving my life over to something that really is important? I mean, if, if this life is all there is, then let's eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Is it worth it? Why not live for today? Why not live for the flesh? Why not live for the body beautiful? Why not live for temporal rewards? Why not live for the glory of man? Well, the end of verse 10 tells us, because we have fixed our hope on the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. Now, what does he mean by that? Our confidence is in the living God, the one who is the Savior of all men, and especially of believers. Does this mean that everybody's going to be saved in the end? No. No, it doesn't mean that at all. That's universalism, and that contradicts other scriptures. And if, the, if God is the author of the whole Bible, then one place doesn't contradict another place. And besides, that's not the context. He's not dealing with, with salvation from sin here. He's talking about pursuing godliness. You know what the key word to understanding this sentence is? The key word is that little word, especially. Especially. Now watch. Follow me, because this is very, very rich. Believers and unbelievers have a salvation that believers have to a greater degree. That's why the word especially is used. Whatever believers have to a greater degree, in this context, unbelievers have to a certain degree. Can't be speaking about eternal salvation from from sin, because unbelievers don't have that. In other words, whatever kind of way God is the Savior of all men, he is that same kind of Savior to believers to a greater degree. That, if if you're going to have biblical integrity, that uh, enters into it, that little word, especially. He is the Savior of everyone, but in a special sense, to a greater degree, is he the Savior of believers. Now, what does he mean by Savior? Savior here does not mean Savior from sin. That is not the context. That's not how it would fit in. It is, it is used in other places in the Bible not to speak of eternal salvation from sin, but to mean deliverance, preservation. For instance, in 2 Kings 13.5, it is used in that sense that God is one who saves by delivering physical deliverance in Israel. Nehemiah 9.27 speaks of that. Isaiah 63.7-10. through 10. Let, Let's turn there to Isaiah 63. Just, we'll just look at one passage. We don't have to look at all the others. But Isaiah 63, 7 through 10, speaks of God in his, in his saviorhood towards Israel. I shall make mention of the loving kindness of the Lord, the praises of the Lord, according to all that the Lord has granted us, and the great goodness toward the house of Israel, which he has granted them according to his compassion. And according to the multitude of his loving kindness, for he said, surely they are my people, sons who will not uh, deal falsely. So he became their savior. Now, 
in this context, is God their savior from sin? Is, is God the savior of everybody in Israel? No, I was just reading that uh, in Romans chapter 9, all Israel is not Israel. Did God save in the Old Testament personally, uh, save from, from eternal damnation every single Jewish person? No. Yet he calls himself their savior. Why? Because he's speaking of his loving kindness, he's speaking of his goodness, he's speaking of his preservation of Israel. And then it goes on to say, in all their affliction, he was afflicted, and the angel of his presence saved them, meaning physically delivered them. In his love and in his mercy, he redeemed them, and he lifted them and carried them all the days of old. But it says in verse 10, but they rebelled, and they grieved the Holy Spirit, and so forth. He is speaking here about his, his temporal blessings as provider, sustainer, he cared for them. That's what he's saying in 1 Timothy chapter 4. Now to all people, God gives blessings. He is the Savior in the sense that to all people, God delivers them by giving them food and caring for them and giving them air to breathe. In fact, it is only the graciousness of God that allows us to be born. Listen, the moment you were born, did you deserve to die? Whether you know it or not, you did. I did. If God was fair to us, the moment we, we took a breath, it wouldn't have been a doctor, as I said this morning, who slapped us, would have been God who killed us on the spot. That's what we deserve. See, the question is not why we live. The question is why, do, why don't we die immediately? That's what we deserve. It is only God's grace that keeps us alive. He gives us air to breathe. He's interested in us. In Acts 17, 28, Paul says, in him we move and breathe and have our very being. He, he said that to the Athenian philosophers, unbelievers. Everybody has that. In Matthew 5.45, it speaks of God's blessings, that the, the, the uh, rain falls on the just and the unjust, and the sun shines on the just and the unjust. That's the sense that Paul is speaking of. That's why he says in Romans 2, the goodness of God ought to lead you to repentance. God is the Savior of all men in the sense that he gives temporal, physical uh, blessings to everybody. Everybody. But... For everyone outside of Christ, these blessings come to a close. They are temporal. They end the moment they die. They end. For the believer, though, these blessings never end, but they continue into eternity. Does God take care of us? Will he take care of us in eternity? Will he do good things for us? Will he sustain us? Absolutely. Absolutely. So Paul's point is this. Watch this. That godliness is worth being pursued because there are eternal consequences. It is worth dedicating your life to the pursuit of godliness because there is a living God, now watch, who has already proven he blesses everyone. He's proven that by being a savior of all people in the sense of temporal blessings so that we know that our agonizing over godliness will be blessed by him forever and ever. In other words, it's worth it because God has proven that he blesses all people, so certainly we who agonize in the pursuit of godliness will be blessed for all of eternity. So give your life over to the pursuit of godliness because it counts for eternity. That's what he's saying. A good minister does what he does with eternity in view. The living God has shown that he, that he can sustain and preserve and take care and bless everyone. Certainly, then you know that when he says he'll bless you, Forever and ever, you know that to be true. So it is worth it all. In other words, he's saying there's a future. And God's proven that. If you want to be a good minister, you don't live for today. You don't live for the physical. You live for the spiritual. You don't live for the body beautiful. You live for the inner man beautiful. The inner person beautiful. You don't live for today, 
but you live for what's really the priority, what's really important, what you ought to be preoccupied with, and that is godliness. That's the point. Do you bear this mark of a good servant? Do you really bear it? Which are you more interested in, jogging or Bible study? Diet or prayer? Aerobics or meditation? It's as simple as that. What's, what really turns you on? What really is, is where your commitment is? Now, now, I shouldn't say turn you on in the sense of feeling, but what you're committed to. What's your priority? And that's what it's a matter of priorities. The key to ministry is character. That's what Paul is saying. The key to me, If you want to be a good servant, Timothy, character is what you dwell on. And I say to you, and I say to me, if we want to be good servants, it is character that God is interested in. Robert Murray McShane, I close with this, but don't close your minds. This is one of the great quotes. In fact, it's in my office. It's so meaningful to me. It's not great because it's in my office. It's in my office because I think it's great. He wrote this many years ago. According to your holiness, so shall your success be. A holy man is an awesome weapon in the hand of God. Are you a holy man, a holy woman? Are you that awesome weapon in the hand of God? What is really your priority? Is it your weight or is it godliness? That's really the issue. Let's look to the Lord. Father, we know this can be a very, very convicting message. Lord, I, I know there are some here who, like myself, are convicted by this. It's tough. Really is tough. We live in a world that is coming at us so quickly about the body and physical beauty and all these things, and really it's Hollywood beauty. Father, we pray that what has been said tonight from your word would do something in our lives. It would impact our lives, that we might be different from the world around us. Father, help us to have that determination to train for godliness, to be involved in prayer, be involved in Bible study, be involved in, in witnessing, be involved in fellowship in the church, be involved in ministry, be involved in meditation, be involved in accountability, that those would be our training tools, that those would be our exercises. Father, we pray that you'd help us to strike a, a good balance. You know that I'm certainly not saying, and your word is not saying that Physical exercise is unimportant. I think it is important. I think your word teaches the common sense approach to, to good eating habits and, and rest and relaxation and, and exercise, staying in shape as best we can. But certainly, Lord, we're not to be preoccupied with that to the neglect of the spiritual. And we pray you'd help us to strike a balance so that no one gets the wrong ideas, that no one uh, gets things out of balance. Father, we pray that you will raise up in Lakeside many good ministers, many, many people who are committed to being excellent servants because it does cost something. They have to protect the flock. They have to care about the flock more than themselves. They have to feed and, and feed on the word of God, nourish themselves, the scriptures. Father, they need to avoid error. They need to keep their mind pure and not feed on garbage, but feed on the purity of the word of God. And they need to pursue godliness. Help us to take these things to heart, Lord. Help us to be obedient to what clearly is the plain teaching of Scripture. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Serving God in any leadership role is a serious responsibility. 
When Paul said goodbye to the elders of Ephesus in Acts chapter 20, he charged them to be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. Now that's an expensive purchase, isn't it? So let's be the best shepherds we can be. Thanks for tuning in today to Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve Kreloff is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. We'd love to see you some Sunday if you're in the area and need a place to worship. For directions and service times, call Lakeside at 727-441-1714 or go online to lakesidechapel.com. That's lakesidechapel.com or call 727-441-1714. Today, Pastor Steve wrapped up his second message in this series from 1 Timothy 4 about the marks of a good servant. If you'd like to hear the whole message, you can get a free audio CD by calling Lakeside at the number I just gave you. Or you can listen again to today's broadcast or any previous one on the message archive page at versebyverseradio.org. We also have a secure and convenient giving page if you'd like to help to support this ministry. And we thank you for your support. That's at versebyverseradio.org. I'm Jerry Peterson. On the next Verse by Verse, Pastor Steve will be sharing about the kinds of things a good servant teaches along with the way he teaches as we continue to consider the marks of a good servant. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre-recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's versebyverseradio.org. We're here to give you strength between... Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.